Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dave McGuire. And I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. We're sorry to interrupt your podcast this evening, but we come to you with a very important message. Are you tired of hearing the squeaking of our chairs? Are you tired of hearing a distant echo in the background? Are you tired of hearing my lips smack the moment before I talk? I know I am. But you know how we can fix that? We need help from you. You see, Rome was not built in a day. It was built over many months, and also with lots of money. And lots of marble. We don't actually need the marble. No, we don't need it. It'd be nice, but... Okay, let's just stick to things that we actually need. Okay, sorry. Okay, thank you. Anyways, if you feel like you want to help us with our squeaking chairs or massive echo and Brian's incessant lip smacking, please go to www.nerdonomy.com. Click on Donate, where your money will go to helping our nerd cave thrive and helping Brian get over his speech impediment. And to go to our need for lots and lots of Hot Pockets. We must have the Hot Pockets. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Sarah Ashley, Kevin Satorius, Brian Moriarty, and Sean Moriarty. So, have any of you guys ever tried to use the Jedi mind trick on anybody in real life? Oh, oh never to success. Actually, yeah. I mean, I've I've tried. It doesn't work often. <laughs> I have three other brothers, and of course, they're never game up for that type of thing. No, never like in high school, mom. These are not the keys you're looking for. Exactly. <laughs> um, I I tried actually to do that with my teacher in terms of a paper that I did turn in. And it turns out someone had erased my name and put theirs. And so I presented this to uh, my professor and was like, this is the paper you're looking for. And then my professor said, like, like took off her glasses, looked real close to see my name that was erased and went, ah, this is the paper I'm looking for. Oh, oh success. Success. I like that. Jedi mind tricks in a successful scenario. See, usually I'd just be like... No, officer, I was not speeding, but then I usually flash my tits, and then I'm good to... No, I'm just kidding. I oh, do I, I try to show my nipple <laughs> ring, and There's a it certain works point sometimes. where it's, it's, all, about in the getting, it's right. all about getting somebody when they're at the right point where they are actually open to suggestion. Sure. Like when someone's trying to say something, and you're just like, ah, and then they oh. finish the sentence for you, and you repeat it back to them, mm. that's when you can totally fuck with them yeah. and yeah. say it. <clears throat> Along that same mindset, even though it's not Jedi mind tricks, I have tried the Bugs, Bunny, and Daffy Duck scenario. Wabbit season, duck season, wabbit season, duck season, duck season, wabbit season, fire! And so um, I tried that on somebody once, and it actually worked. Yeah, oh, my totally favorite is worked. the... Uh, you keep at it. He doesn't have to shoot you now. <laughs> so shoot me now! Sure, no. Okay. Aha! <laughs> Pronoun trouble. It is not, I have to shoot you now. It is, he does not have to shoot me now. No. Well, I say he does have to shoot me now. No. So, so shoot, shoot me now! now. <laughs> You're this. He was like, no, it was, uh... <gasps> oh, no. Not again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm sorry. They went down the Looney Tunes path. This I is what happens. Sorry. We haven't done an episode in Looney Tunes, by the way. We have not. That needs to happen. We do need to talk about Space Jam. Uh, we need to talk about Space Jam, because <laughs> everybody get up. It's time to slam now. Or jam now. Yeah. It is time to jam now. Yeah. Uh, I have a special edition DVD for that movie. Showing uh, insert either. sound effects of uh, car veering hard to making a hard left to hard right, because we're now carrying it back in Tangentville, straight back onto the topic. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Enough of that detour. Yeah, exactly. We, we stopped to get a, uh, to pick up, you know, hot dogs and gas, so we're and good. Apparently some Looney Tunes DVDs. Yes, <laughs> clearly. And Jill, have you ever actually used the Jedi Mind Trick on anybody? No, I've never used the Jedi Mind Trick. I have also, have you guys ever, like, gone to, like, Botany Club and everybody is, like, 
the first rule of botany club you don't talk about botany club Oh, do they I, say I that in botany, say club? botany club? It never really happens in botany club per se, but other clubs. Do you go to botany club? <laughs> I have been to botany club. Oh, oh you're so awesome! <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, do you go? Are to you trying to say that, like you're botany like an underground club? cage fighter? No, no, no. It's real botany club. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. So do you do you battle the little uh, shop of horrors plant then? Sometimes, part of sometimes the we do. Club? Yeah, the yeah. Venus okay. flytrap. Mm-hmm. I mean, or the I feel like too. I yeah. feel like we might have at one point said something along the lines of the first rule in nerdonomy is you don't talk about nerdonomy. Yeah. But oh, d- then again, we realized, wait, we're trying to shamelessly self-promote ourselves. <laughs> we probably should talk about that. Would be that was a bad idea. <laughs> we're breaking our own rule. And then we amended that rule. <laughs> but I mean, I've definitely been in situations where people use that phrase, right? Yep. Or, yep. or like, what is that? What is that from like movies where people are always trying to like use those quotes, those like super well, famous quotes, and they just like you know trying to apply like box of chocolates to everything. Well, you know? I will tell you this much. Um, Growing up with three other brothers, um, I guess not necessarily my influence to my love of movies, but I think it was just the collective uh, as being young kids and watching movies all the time. During dinner, we would have conversations with my mom and my dad, but there would always be at least, at least one movie quote, and then all four of us would go off on a tangent. My mom and dad would look at each other and go, we lost them, let's go do the dishes. (laughs) And so, like, it's part of my family's culture. Like, um, I'm about to go on a family reunion vacation, and sure enough, I will guarantee you there will be at least 50 movie quotes on this vacation. It's only going to last, like, you know, not even two weeks, but it's just, it's so... Embedded in my in my brother's culture, that it, it's in a, it's inescapable. Speaking of family reunions, Sean would appreciate this too. Uh, when we were at our ninety four family reunion, it was a contest amongst all the cousins to who could do the monologue from Wayne's World two the best. the The whole thousand brown M and M's in the brandy glass <gasps> monologue. That one's so good. It's, it, it's I've a heard you do monologue. it. It's really good. Yeah, yours is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So. Just the voice or just the, the memory aspect of the getting the lines right? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> See, Sean and I have to do it for you. We have to duel it out. Oh, my God. And okay, I want to hear you guys duel it. You must judge yes. who's the better of the two. Yeah, no, well, I guess one of the things I was thinking of was that somehow movie quotes can bring an entire context of the movies to just two or three little lines and just bring in so much more contextually than... Than the actual words oh, themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, we need a bigger boat. Yeah. <laughs> I've said that <laughs> a bunch of times. Oh, boy. Uh, there, yeah, there's no escaping that. Yeah. Um, the one that I've seen... Oddly enough, I'm Batman doesn't seem to have much context to it. Not no, yet. No, not um, really. That's uh, a little too specific, Brian. In, in terms of modern times, um, Don't I think... Don't you judge me. Uh, between the Nolan Batman saga, um, I mean, just as an interesting side note, a lot of my coworkers uh, won't quote Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises that much. They'll quote uh, and try to create the guttural Batman voice, like Rachel or something <laughs> like that, more so than quoting the actual movie. Now, actually, though, funny enough, Kevin will go up to women on the street and just scream Rachel at them, hoping at one point it works. <laughs> I'll, I'll encounter a Rachel and then go, where are the drugs going? <laughs> Swear to me! No, he never said that to her. No, of course not. Um, it's not who I am. But and he I uses do, uh, squirrel in order to distract. Oh. Squirrel! squirrel. Squirrel. Hi there. <laughs> totally. Oh my God. That's oh, true. Oh, and uh, so, uh, jumping from up, um, I, I guiltily uh, do this with my family, my friends. Um, whenever like something falls through, and I see them the next time, they're like, well, "So how was it?" And I go, "I was hiding under the porch because I love you." So, <laughs> um, I have a friend whose husband proposed to her using that line. 
What? And it they worked? Were, they were at Disneyland, and he had an artist draw Dougie Aww. with that. I had Doug. Under, I, I, Doug, thank you. And I, he said, I hid under the porch because I love you. Uh, that was what he gave to her, and then mm-hmm. he brought out the ring. Oh, that's so good. And their, their entire wedding was up-themed, by the way. Oh, that's adorable. And I, so much so that even there wasn't Here Comes the Bride. It was the up, like, silent theme that was done by Michael I don't think anybody actually uses Here Comes the Bride anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It was, it was, it was tear-jerking. It was yeah. amazing. Nobody some people that. do. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. some people do. I've been to a couple weddings myself. But, I work in a, in a vet's office, oh, yeah? and I haven't heard anyone call the cone of shame by anything other than oh, no, the, cone the cone of shame. Of shame. Yeah, it is yeah. now the I, cone of shame. And I that work is at name. an animal shelter, same thing. It's yeah. always called the cone of shame. You must wear the cone of shame. Probably <laughs> <laughs> the cone of shame. I do not like the cone of shame. Although I'm pretty sure actually that was, that's was that been around for a while. But it hasn't had a name. It really... like. Well, I mean, no, it's called the Eliz- it's really called an Elizabethan collar. Well, yeah, but, but see, like, how many people really? are cultured and yes, educated when it comes wow. to Elizabeth- Elizabethan culture versus... Elizabethan collar versus movies, since they're so prevalent in yeah, American society. No, 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 society. but I'm just saying, I feel like the Cone of Shame thing actually... Um, existed. Has, it existed before Up, I yeah. feel like, because there's I've heard people but use it. But it didn't really enter the lexicon. No, yes. but it, it, it's yes. stuck. It yes. is stuck now, yeah. absolutely. So um, I, that is really kind of funny. That I love it when pop culture just completely mm-hmm. infuse itself. Like how many mm-hmm. how many groups of guys are calling themselves like the wolf pack now yeah, since the hangover the wolf pack, yeah. and that kind of thing. Oh, um, don't remind me. I, I love how uh when I gather around uh fellow Star Wars nerds especially, sometimes it's myself, I am an instigator just a little bit. Um I'll throw out the phrase, now this is pod racing and uh, you just see all these nerds just flare up. Ah, ah, who said that? Yeah, I'm ah. like why do you do that? I'm like really anything from episode ah. one <laughs> <laughs> So, Misa Actually, for the, a lot of people doing the Misa thing. Yeah, Misa. Yeah, yeah. That, um, mm. oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, what's? Uh, I I can't believe I'm actually trying to reference this, but what's I can't the, believe it's not butter. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's not from a movie. No, but I where's just, Fabio? I can't believe it's no butter. <laughs> um, Commercials were filmed. Oh. Nerds on film. <laughs> All right. So my dad, uh, who's a nurse, um, he, he will see like maybe four movies, five movies a year growing up as a kid. Now, because he no longer is a father, um, we're all living out of the house and we're all adults, um, he sees more movies. And the the thing that struck me the most is that when episode one came out, the entire year of 1999, he kept going up to me like whenever I did something bad and went, Kevin, how wooed. <laughs> he straight up just like Jar Jar Binks, how wooed. And just walked away and I'm like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for... Thanks. I need to meet I your guess. parents because they sound like they're amazing people. They're they're a weird, awesome uh, bunch of people. That's cool. Yeah. My uh, my dad's silly dad thing yeah. that he does is uh, the it's good from uh, Bruce Almighty or, or uh, good, yeah. good, good, good. Nice. all the time, all the time. Nice. Well, that's a pretty good one. I like that. Um, oh, my oh, dad loves oh. movie quotes. I, I, ironically, I don't quote the diction and the, the vocalization from it, but um, I say already then a lot from Ace yeah. Ventura. I yeah. do say that, but the thing is, I don't intend to be like, alrighty then. No, you just go, just, alrighty then. Alrighty then. So yeah. my dad doesn't have one movie quote. He has a cadre of movie quotes. He has them on his iPod. I think it's now on his iPhone. And it's a playlist of just sound bites from movies. And it's like, hey... One hit the most annoying sound in the world, and it's all. Ah! 
<laughs> but then it goes to you are the leading asshole in the state, and it just it goes through all these random movie quotes. And sometimes we just listen to it just because to remember like this very eclectic assortment of so okay. Lines. So, so now that you mentioned Dumb and Dumber, I kind of have a thing where if I see a bird, I'm always like, pretty bird, pretty bird, pretty, pretty bird. bird. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, small tangent aside, that kid totally looks like Haley Joe Osment, but it's not him in, okay. the, in Dumb and Dumber. I, I it, it bought, been too young. my mind. Yeah, because he was like four or five when he did right. Forrest Gump, not too long after. But I just, well, oh, that's crazy. There's just so many movie quotes that are just so completely ingrained. Like you don't even yeah. really think about them Life anymore. Like a box of chocolates. Sure, and I can think of uh, one more. But before we get to there, you know what, folks? Welcome to Nerds on Film. Uh-huh. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I am Kevin Sutorius. And with us is a special guest today, one of my um, dear friends and old co-workers, Jillian. <laughs> Hello. Welcome, welcome. Thank We're you really for having me here. Really Finally, glad you could join us. Yeah. the force is in balance. We have two female nerds balanced with two male nerds. I think... I think everything's going to be okay, guys, from yeah. this point forward. I, I, I think I, I think I, we're okay. <laughs> we're, we're not, you know, trying to cut each other's throats, so I think this is a good sign so far. Yeah, it's That's all true. that it's that little bit of extra estrogen in the room helps right. balance everything out. Well, I'm glad you said it because I I felt like if I said well, it, it was going to be offensive. Well, I was just going to say it's it's like, and it's nice to have another nerd that we don't know as well in the in the room because. You're creating that balance. We're really interested in what you say and want to say. I feel so important. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. um, My nerd cred. I am kind of just a connoisseur of fiction in general, not necessarily just movies, but stories. Um, I have a biology degree, so that doesn't qualify me for anything. Unlike That qualifies (laughs) you for being a smart nerd. Hello. It doesn't give me opinions, though. Like, Sarah, I can't have any opinions here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just have a lot of those anyway. Did you you minor in English? No, no, not at all. (laughs) But she is an avid reader. I mean, actually, I'm pretty sure you read on a more regular basis than I I do now. Because I was about to ask you, do you read books? I do. I read read entire whole novels. In fact, I have a goal every year. I read 50 books a year. What a great that's, like, that's like a book a week, basically. Basically, yes, exactly. Wow. Impressive. Most impressive. I try. Thank you. Um, actually, it's really funny because um, when Jill and I were, were working together, and we're not going to say which space, but we, you know, we used to work together at the animal shelter that I currently work at. And um, I found out she listened to podcasts. And was like, well, you should totally listen to Nerds on Film because it's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and then she started listening to it. And then she comes up to me and she's like, Sarah, I kind of feel like we're like kindred nerd soulmates. And I'm like, and then we just start having these crazy, awesome freaking conversations of just complete nerdery. <laughs> it's complete true. Complete nerdery. Yes. Nerdery. I love that. We would have a nerdonomy at work. Personally, I prefer <gasps> geekery. And then th- what we're doing right now is nerdcraft. Well, but isn't is that, it, isn't it, what's the definition of nerdonomy? Isn't it like. It's an arrangement of people who share their knowledge. Their studious knowledge, despite their lack of social skills. So we would have a nerdonomy at work. Yeah, we definitely had one of those. Just... So wait, Jill, I gotta ask. Haven't you given us some listener feedback? I, I did give you some listener feedback. I, I was the one times, that took yeah. Brian yeah. to task for uh, the Peter Pan protagonist. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, awesome. That was. Yeah, let's, <laughs> that let's, was let's leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. You brought up some awesome points. I will it? actually admit you you were right. I, I rejected the idea originally, but that was like. Fuck, she's right. <laughs> I don't want to admit yeah, it. I feel like right. you spent a really long time disagreeing with me just to eventually agree with me. 
at the end. So <laughs> that was very satisfying. Brian, in my car. Your idea uh, of defiance is okay. slightly so adorable. I'm just, I, I am a male, so you know. It's, let's you be honest, Thank you for most clarifying. men don't like admitting when they're wrong, so... I'll, Neither I'll do women. Let alone hey, women never admit it. All right, fine. We're just, Can we're I just... break the trend? <laughs> okay. I will freely be happy to discuss how wrong I am if I am ever wrong, because... I, I, I like it's if I'm ever if I'm wrong. ever wrong, listeners. Um, I grew up surrounded by people who would spout random facts, and like in the back of my head, I'm like, no, no, that's not right at all. And I had some people call call me out on it when I was a kid, and I realized how shitty I felt. And so I, I kind of want to engage in that being a mature adult and sharing this experience. Oh, I'm wrong. Please tell me how can I correct myself. Can you say that again? Can you say that I'm okay admitting that that you're I'm wrong? I'm okay admitting I'm wrong. Shut up, Kevin. <laughs> yes, Brian. All right, guys, it's been real. Have a good night. Oh, and Kevin's already <laughs> gone. No, 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 no. Sit back down. We haven't, <gasps> we haven't fired you yet. Okay, he'll come back any moment now. Here we go. Yeah. One, two, three. <laughs> See, I told right. you. Are you are you done, Brian? I love how Sean went. Does anyone know how to explain how we just did it? <laughs> yes. Sean totally like bought that. Episode, that, was that was so funny. <laughs> um, yes, with with his like smokers version of Nightcrawler. Well, well, if only it is a shame because uh, Robert, back when he was with us in the beginning episodes, uh, I really want to have a conversation with him because uh, Nightcrawler is my favorite X Man, which is why I like to bamf out of situations that I'm uncomfortable in. Sure, but it's like bamf if Nightcrawler had emphysema, basically. <laughs> bamf. Yes. Like that? That'll be Nightcrawler when he's like... 90 years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So folks, before we jump into the topic for tonight, and the tail end of what we were talking about, I do have a quick little piece of feedback from a listener for Nerds on Film. Ooh, nice. This is coming from, from the Facebook page from Steve. Steve actually has another podcast. <gasps> Hi, Steve. Uh, uh, oh, 76th sweet. Street podcast uh, podcast pro- cross pollination there you go we like to, we club. like to cross promote if you guys yeah. have a podcast let us so know. steve rosenberg Please. here's your shout out sir here's his feedback been listening to every episode and plugging you guys on motion picture meltdown motion picture meltdown thank, That's thank you thank you steve so thank much. you so much sir uh, with it being beach season and shark week coming up shark week Ooh-ha-ha. it'd be awesome to hear your take on jaws my favorite <sighs> horror movie and the history of the creature feature i'd even love to skype in if you all are into cross podcastiality, uh, as he calls it. Uh, that sounds dirty. I'm losing air. This is this idea is so exciting to me. That's filthy. keep up the great work. Love the Godfather episode. Toodles, Steven. Of course, he shouts out the episode that I wasn't on. Well, Sarah, <laughs> whose fault well, was that? I'm Get sorry. Can I, I'm Sarah, sorry. don't ever ask me about my business. I'm sorry. Don't I ever was, ask me about my business. <laughs> I was drunkenly rafting down a river, and it was awesome. <laughs> and you still have the sunburn to prove it, or no more? Um, no, actually, my thighs are still pretty red. Isn't that terrible? Oh, that is a shame. What guy did you meet on that trip? I was wearing <laughs> shorts, you pervert. <laughs> but I do have some... Li- you walked into that one. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, but I still Did you some- walk into that one? I'm just curious. <laughs> Ew, why would you want to walk into a dick? I mean, for crying I mean, out loud. I mean, it was more like he walked into me, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but yeah, it's fine. Don't he has to do all the direction for crying out loud. <laughs> he could have been lazy, I don't know. I just, I just kind of like fell onto it. No, uh, if we're making a clerk's reference. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, that's actually, that's another quote then. Um, I'm not even supposed to be here today. I'm not even supposed to be here today. I say yes. that at my, well, I don't say that at my work. Because I love my job. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, other places would be like... I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yeah. You know what's one I think is used quite a bit? Yes, please tell me. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Oh, oh my God, that's totally crazy. 
I can't believe they brought that up. Oh, I wonder why we did that. Oh, my yeah. God. I think it's because Jill's here for a very special reason. Jill, why are you here? Because I love The Wizard of Oz. <gasps> oh! Kevin's Sean, can it. you put in like the sound of, of kids applauding? Yeah! yeah! Really? It has the, the sound. There's a bunch of kids going, yeah! Well, well don't yeah, you know? Coffee. Sean loves the sound of you children. You should totally play that. Anyway, moving on. Um, hey, yeah, Wizard of Oz. So yeah, no, absolutely. This is a this is a movie that has been so completely um, ingrained in pop culture from oh, yeah. the you know, Toto, we're not in Kansas, or um, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too, or even that there's no place like home. All of these things are so completely wrapped up in in our social scheme. And right? I really want to throw out there, um, I'm melting, I'm melting, wah yeah. wah, exactly. wah wah, yeah. yes. So oh, we are about girl. to ruin your childhood. Yes, everybody. we are. <laughs> it will be wrecked. Everybody. I mean, we all grew up watching that movie over and over and over again. We discussed earlier how. You know, I had that movie recorded off of ABC's movie on television oh, or whatever. Like we had to watch the all the Sunday, commercials. Right? Yeah, we yeah. had to watch all the commercials every time, every time we wanted to watch yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So for those that are 21, uh, please get your scotch, beer, whiskey, wine, or tequila ready because your childhood is going to be fully realized. I guess. <laughs> we're gonna talk. A, we're gonna talk a lot about this. So um, let's kind of start. From the source material. Sure. So Frank L. Baum is the one who wrote the original The Wonderful World of Oz in 1900. And he said in his foreword, actually, that he was setting out to write the modern American fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Except he wanted to cut out all of the nightmare bits, like Han Christian Andersen and the Grimm Brothers. You mean I, the part where, like, Little Mermaid realizes that mermaids can't have souls? Exactly, And when yeah. they die, they turn into I'm sea foam? I'm not sure exactly oh, how sh- successful he was with all of the yeah. getting caught in tornadoes and witches melting and flying monkeys that attack you. The flying monkeys oh, are kind of way, awful. By the way, fly my pretties, fly, fly. Yeah. It's not used as much, but I thought that would be one of the most iconic phrases. I just want to put that out there. It seems like it would be set up to do it, but that one didn't, I guess, didn't really... My favorite movie that actually reuses that is uh, The Hunchback and Notre Dame because one of the gargoyles when, uh, the, when it's yeah. the, the pigeons Roz she says fly yeah. my pretties yeah. right okay. okay it's pretty funny well I gotta say that for me personally The Wizard of Oz is a major movie of my childhood it was the first movie I can re- remember watching on a repeated basis so much so that and my parents will attest to this it is the reason I learned how to work a VCR on its own because every morning I would wake up I would put on the television and I remember, very oddly, it would be me putting on The Wizard of Oz, and then I would usually stop it about half or three quarters of the way through, and the People's Court would be on for some reason. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. I guess my parents had it on the same channel. It was like the Judge Wapner People's Court. Keep in mind, I'm three years old. So Yeah, I don't... Yeah, anyway, I don't know why that I remember that so vividly, but I do. So, it was a movie that I always kind of always kind of spoke to me. And the more that you think about it, it is kind of the modern American fairy tale. Particularly that Americans don't like unhappy endings. And the fact that this fairy tale, no matter what version we see, has a blatantly, intentionally happy ending to it. Um, Does it? Does it really? We'll discuss that later. <laughs> we'll expose that tonight. Dun, on. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> it's on film. <laughs> At 11. <laughs> 
the expose version. And then, and then softcore porn. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> softcore porn <laughs> session Spanish flame. <laughs> yeah. Well, softcore, I mean, for crying out loud. Okay, okay. So, so the book Sorry. and the movie are a little bit different because in the movie version, which the, this is... The 1939 the version. The 1939 version with Judy, Judy Garland, Garland and, and all the... The one everybody has seen. If you haven't seen this movie yet, then... Why are you yeah, listening? Then, then you do not. You if should you not listen. Um, we are on a planet called Earth. Yeah, <laughs> we have these things called movies. You should watch them a bit more. Yes, indeed. So, the the movie version, Dorothy has a dream. So the whole thing never really happened. But while in 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 his books, like Oz is a literal place. It's more like Narnia, where the children, where Dorothy goes to on occasion when she and she finds different ways into Oz or what have you. Yeah. So and uh Dorothy goes on kind of the quintessential hero's quest, except for that it's not. It's a really, really horrible hero's quest. Right, because she doesn't experience any sort of growth right. or any transition. She just winds up exactly where she started. She desperately wants to go home the entire time. She starts a good little girl. She stays a good little girl and the characters that she goes on the journey with are the ones that have the change, except for they don't even really get to have the change. Because it was either. in them all along. Exactly. They already had what, what? they were seeking. What yeah. an American-style so story, though, for well, crying no, out loud. But actually, an American-style story would be something where somebody pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and found success at the end. Because That's what they that... found it in themselves all along. Well, or they're mm-hmm. utilizing their skills that they know that they have or something yeah. like that. Maybe but, the, the theme of this seems to be validation is what you really need because the wizard is the one who supplies them with in the movie it's actually he gives the scarecrow a PhD in thinkology and a I wish med- I had a PhD in thinkology <laughs> and a medal of philanthropy and an elixir of courage yeah. is what they, they end up getting which are all just you know of course everybody knows about the wizard he's not the real wizard spoiler right. spoiler alert yeah. um, I just wanted to throw this out there to Jill whether you want to talk about it now or later in the episode was it really the Wizard of Oz that brought them all uh, to that self-realization stage in terms of realizing their true potential, or was it really Dorothy? In my opinion, I think Dorothy was the catalyst for all of these characters to really discover who they were, and by proxy, it was all the characters for Dorothy to discover who she was as well. That's just my theory in terms of the movie The Wizard of Oz. Well, sure, in the movie Wizard of Oz, they definitely gave more, I think, of a character arc for Dorothy, but in the novel, I don't remember there being as much. No, in, yeah. the, in the novel, of it. Okay. It has no but work. at the same time, I think Baum's intention was with the scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion. He was using those as symbols for different parts of American culture. Right? So that that's a theory that's been bandied around a lot. It was um, proposed in the 1960s that he meant that. There's so I don't we know. were that enlightened in the 1960s. <laughs> Wasn't everyone doing drugs? Yeah, well, LSD really expands your mind, dude. You should try it. (laughs) Well, considering this was the first movie in color, you would think that this would have been like the inspiration for LSD. It wasn't the first. I know, the first major motion picture. No. No, not even that? Nope. It was one of them, but not the first. I think this is the first one to play on the idea of color being two different Because did they have to hand paint every cell? Oh, did they really? Did -hmm. they have to hand paint every cell for that to be in color? They they did colorization. They did uh, did find way of doing actual colorization okay yeah i'm sorry jill i didn't mean to interrupt you uh no that that's okay yeah so dorothy was definitely the catalyst for Uh everything but 
the wizard is what brings out their belief in what they were seeking, the heart, the brains, and the courage. Gotcha. If you will. Right. So. so, but I, I do kind of want to talk on on the populist theory right. of so, it. So that was, in the 1960s, I think it was a high school teacher or something like that, wrote a essay that talked about how his story was really a allegory for the populist movement in the late eight, 19th century, 1800s, and uh, where you know Dorothy is the everyman and the Tin Man is the dehumanized industrial worker and the cowardly lion is William Jennings Bryant. And uh, so I know, I don't know, here's a little Jill trivia. I used to have a stuffed animal collection in high school that I named after failed presidential candidates. No way. <laughs> God, yeah, my hero. yeah. <laughs> William Jennings Bryan ran three, three times. Three times and never, never won. I, I, had, I, like, that's a record. I think your nerd cred is showing. <laughs> Jesus Jill. Christ, Jill, you're amazing. Yeah, yeah that that is impressive. I'm gonna right. name a whole litter of puppies after failed presidential candidates. <laughs> now, anyway, continue. <laughs> anyway, so there's a whole other thing. How the Emerald City is the American dollar. It doesn't really have any value. The yellow brick road is the gold standard. Where the silver shoes, which are what a uh, what Dorothy she has in the in the book, yeah. in the book or she has the silver shoes are the bimetal standard that the populists were interested in. The Wicked Witch of the South was the tenant farmers. And the Wicked Witch of the East and West were the wealthy financial people and the bankers. And then the West was the uh, railroad barons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, like and, then, and then Oz itself was... A literal abbreviation for ounce because of the gold and the bimetal right. standard. Like so, all of these allegories that were mixed. theory. Yeah. It's, but you know what? It totally like reminds me of like you know the recent like Pixar fan theory that's out there. Like you yeah. can read so much into something if you really put in the effort. You can make your own connections. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I'm going to say like that entire list, all those allegories... Oh my God, you could totally apply that to yeah, you popular could. American like culture now to this day. The problem is is that Baum had very little political affiliation at the time and his biography was changed to kind of match that after hmm. the fact like everything. It was pretty thoroughly debunked in the mid 90s, but it spent but the Wizard of Oz spent the pretty much the last half of the 20th century as a political allegory of even though it wasn't necessarily intended that way, but it's often taught that's how a lot of children learn about the populist theory is through the Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's so random. And, and, well, and the fact that even though it's debunked and people still are using it, because it is kind of applicable, but I wonder if, like, fan theories about Pixar and Back to the Future and those kinds of things yeah. are still going to, like, if they're going to use those to explain something really crazy right. later on. That's well, pretty funny. I, and, like, I mean, comparing these allegories and, like, like thinking back about the movie The Wizard of Oz, like, it's very subtle in terms of how you view the movie uh, because it's, it's not necessarily playing to a child's audience, but it's playing to a simpler mindset, a simpler time. Whereas when you think about Star Wars, the original trilogy, mm -hmm. those themes and allegories are so, like so obvious that there's not really oh, many yeah. there's not many fan theories that you can apply to Star Wars because it's so like cut and dry and black and white and everything whereas with The Wizard of Oz what you just told me that's like that opens my mind to people, the movie that I've never thought about before. People apply anything that they want to to yeah. the Wizard of Oz. They call it in, in, in English classes in college they call it reader response. You get exactly. to choose mm -hmm. how you respond to it but I mean it's been represented as allegory for the French Revolution and for World War II isolationism which is kind of odd considering when it was written and when the movie came out, and so it doesn't yeah, really make any sense. Exactly. You can always put a modern context on right. these things. Right. Yeah. Even sometimes it can you know? be represented as like a, a girl's entrance into womanhood and the ruby shoes as menarchy. <gasps> oh I'm not, my I'm not God. joking. Really? Not <laughs> the Wizard of Oz is 
puberty and menses? Yes. That's yes. horrific. Yes, the ruby slippers. <laughs> that is horrific. Well, she does awful. upgrade from silver to red shoes. Because I, I don't even want to know the kind of, you know... What does a cowardly lion represent no, no, then in that case? No, what sort of, like... Men. Like, what sort of misogynistic bullshit are they going to try and say then about the Wicked Witch? Is that, like, some premenstrual woman or, oh. like, menopause? Like, I don't even want to deal with that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Hell no. I just so actually got Sarah's be? feminism hackles up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what would Glinda be then? I'm posturing now. I'm like, what? want to go? Let's go. <laughs> I don't know. Her the rest of the time when she's not on the rag. Am I right, guys? Yeah. Anyway, okay. Don't you mean ladies? No, I'm no. talking about like guys talking about women on the rack. She's trying to identify with the male side yes. in an attempt to sound I think sound all of your male listeners really just not. turned yeah. off the podcast. I, I can't see it, Sarah. I'm sorry. Satire, Kevin. I, I, I can't see satire when it comes to misogyny and feminism and things like that. I'm sorry. I just can't see it. Moving on. Anyway. <laughs> to transition this into the cinematic form of The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Of the versions that exist... I think the 1939 version is actually the closest to the novel. Yes, they they do take a lot of liberties. So there are a lot of differences Mm -hmm. between the original. So for the one thing, Glinda in the books, Glinda is the good witch of the South, not the North. The North is an unnamed witch that we never see again after Dorothy first arrives. Uh, In the books, Oz is is a literal place that Dorothy goes to in the 1939 movie. It's a conch on the head, and you get the whole, it was a dream ending, which has become so cliche. And uh, let's see. Like they shot Jr. <laughs> they uh, they cut out a lot of just the adventure. The book is just chap- every chapter. There's a new adventure. They get caught in a river. They go through the Chinatown, which the new um, power. The new one actually has the, the new China one ha- doll has in the it, Chinatown. Yeah. yeah. In the novel, like they kill the Wicked Witch like halfway through. Right. So they meet with Oz, and Oz says, "The Wizard of Oz, you have to go kill the Wicked Witch." And then they go kill the Wicked Witch, and then come back, and then Glenda sends them home. And then Glenda sends them home. Right. right. That's how it happens in the movie, but I feel like there's a big gap between that and the ending of the in the book. Am, am I, yeah, so they arrive at Oz, they see Oz's, all of his illusions, and then he tells them, in order for me to grant you your wish to go back to Kansas, you have to go kill the Wicked Witch for me. He doesn't give a reason for why he wants to kill the Wicked Witch, he just sends them off because she's she's really wicked, is basically his... Now, are we talking, like, evil wicked or wicked... <laughs> Well, Evil speaking wicked. of wicked, that reminds from me Boston? of... Uh, just, uh, just, no, I have family. No, I don't have family there, so no. No, no. no you have no excuse then. Wicked cool. Uh, I guess. Wicked awesome. <laughs> A lot of family guy. <laughs> wicked awesome. But yes, Brian, you were saying? Well, speaking of wicked, it reminds me of why Gregory Maguire maybe have took that slant that wizard. the wizard was more of a dictator... Uh, propaganda-driven dictator in his novel because it seems like he wanted the Wicked Witch killed because it was she was a liability. She knew the truth about what was right, really going right. on. So yeah. the the wizard in Wicked, the novel, is is definitely the villain. Whereas in all of the other adaptations of Oz, he's kind of more this kind of guy who's not really bad but not really good either. Right. And he's a fraud too. In definitely every version, a fraud, he's a fraud. But he's not unsympathetic either. 
you know, I really wish uh, James Franco played that. that you that know, type that's of the thing, though, because he yeah. was not, he was not sympathetic in the no, remake. No, he was I, a fraud. Well, and we can I think we can probably talk about that a little bit later. I oh, kind of yeah. want to get through the progression. But for sure, for sure. The in the in the book, in the original 1900 book, he says, you know, don't don't look at me. I'm I'm just make believing. That's what right. he says. Like it's yeah. it's much more innocent. Like this man who just got caught up. In yeah. what he was doing, as opposed to a deliberate con. Now, question in the book, isn't it? And I, it's been a forever since I've read that. I, I yeah, think fourth I read grade it. for me. It's been a long time. Um, but didn't Glinda? She didn't show up in the beginning of the book. You no, pretty much she, only saw her at the end. Right, right. Yeah. So they have to after they've killed the Wicked Witch, and the Wizard admits that he can't send Dorothy home. He tries to send her home in the hot air balloon but toto runs away and the hot air balloon leaves without dorothy and now they're like what are we going to do now well we better go ask the good witch of the south whom we haven't met yet unlike in the movie where she shows up in the beginning okay so let's talk about the movie versions now well so yeah most people don't know the 1939 version that we now the famous version of the wizard of oz was actually the third uh, book to film adaptation there was originally one in 1910 and the book i believe was published in 1904 Five. I could be wrong with that one. The the original. The original. But that, the first Bong. one was 1900. 1900. Okay, 1900. Okay. So, in 1910, the first no, uh, version was done and spawned three sequels, actually. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, they were... Let me see if I, I have it. I had it pulled up here. Uh, they are Dorothy and the Scarecrow in Oz, The Land of Oz, and John Doe and the Cherub. What? And the Cherub? It's apparently based off of another L. Frank Baum novel wait, wait, that was not Ozian. Cherub is like little baby yeah, looking yeah, yeah, angel yeah. Little baby Cupid angels. Baby yeah. naked angels, yeah. Yes, indeed. They're naked. I know they're kind naked. They're very naked. Odd. Uh, that one's actually fairly close to the story, too, as far as I can tell, but there is a Mamba the Witch. Which uh, is everyone so, do the Mamba? Yeah. Is it not is it Mombi? Because she shows up in in later stories. M O M B A is what okay. it is. Maybe, maybe it was inspired yeah, they by... Just, they just changed the last vowel, I guess. I guess. The other film that was made was in 1925. The only thing that's really the claim to fame of that is that Oliver Hardy of the Laurel and Hardy troupe was the Tin Woodsman. And as he was known before mm-hmm. The, the Wizard Man. of Oz in 1939, because then he became the Tin Man. Mm-hmm. It was always the Tin Woodsman. In the books, it's, it's all the Tin Woodsman. Yeah. The 1925 version, though, we just watched about 10 minutes of it before today. It was weird. It is entirely available on YouTube, by the way. If you want to watch As it... As are all the books. They're all in public domain, too, so you can nice. just download those yeah. if you want. If you want to watch the uh, 1925 version, don't. And here's why. <laughs> it's because weird. It is such a departure... From the film, and it's like they introduce characters who have nothing to do with the it, like Princess uh, Vicious, V I S H U S S, and Prime Vicious? Minister Cruel with a K, yeah. and Prince and Kind, K Y N D. Yeah, oh. it's just so blatantly symbolic. Ugh. It's hard to watch, and also like it takes like twenty minutes for us to even get to Dorothy in Kansas, let alone Oz. In Gloria yeah. Sepia tone, I much. It was <laughs> it was a little it was a little weird. But um it, it was there was way too many creative licenses taken with Sure, that. and well and there you go. That that would be probably why it was not the long-lasting version of right. it. But the long-lasting version is the Judy Garland 1939 version. Which clocks in at just over 90 minutes, at 101 minutes. That's a long, long. 1939 movie. It was, it was. And in fact, 
Interestingly enough, it was made by Metro, Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Of course, everyone knows MGM. that. It was distributed by Lowe's. Which the hardware no, I, 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 store. I <laughs> yes, Sarah, the hardware store. <laughs> I'm sorry. At the end, like while the credits are rolling, Fucking you see dolts. all these men and, and uh, women in like outfits, like, "Hey, buy your lumber at Lowe's." I'm <laughs> no, sorry, the... I'll leave. <laughs> okay, so apparently they've just West Coastified themselves because Lowe's is a prominent East Coast theater chain. Um, oh, L O W E S movie theater chain. E W, but yes, you got oh, the right E W L O E W. L-O-E-W. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Lowe's uh, W-E is the hardware chain. Oh, so. uh, okay. Are we really having this conversation? <laughs> yes, we are. We are. Uh, in 1939, the film had a budget of $2.7 million. Whoa, that's, that's a big a budget money. feature. It is. And here's the, here's the consideration, okay? Its box office in its entire initial release was $3 million. So it made its money and then some. Adjusted for 2012. Income that's yeah. two hundred and thirty nine million dollars. Jesus Christ, that's yeah. a good movie. <laughs> so that's two point seven million dollars is absurd. It, it it is literally like making a blockbuster today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just throwing money at it, and this is keep in mind in the height of the depression too. Yeah. So Hollywood Holy crap. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Wow. So Hollywood was the one industry that didn't really feel the depression because because everyone was escaping to the movies. Exactly. exactly. And they were cheap Jeez. enough. And at this point, the studio system was so firmly in effect. I'm not joking. The studios were cranking out a film a week. That sounds like Bollywood. Yeah. You know that Bollywood makes, like, in, in terms of ratios with Hollywood movies, they make, like, four to one movies. But keep in mind, least. this is also pre any of the writers or actors unions where writers and actors were on contract with the studio. They were owned by the studio and they yeah. would be well, That would make sense, yeah. yeah. They would arrange trades with other studios. Right. But also, shooting days would literally be, like, 18 hours long. Ew. That's why yeah, they would no, turn out no, crank out. No, thanks. No. Yeah. And if you think about the way that movies were shot back then on sound stages, with generally speaking wider shots, like they could crank out films a lot faster because there was less complexity with the photography of the well, film, the set design, the layout, and like the concept as well. If you think about movie concepts from like the 30s and 40s compared to like now, it, things are way more vast, expansive, and like way more cerebral now than they were then. It was just very cut and dry, in your face. Like this is what you're seeing. No room for interpretation, type of thing. I don't know, right. but there was there was quite a bit of creativity with the sets back then too. Now it's just kind of splurging on screen with a it is. CGI, with CGI and green yeah. screen. Yeah. I mean, and it would really depend on the style of film that was being depicted. In this case, with more of a fantasy film, yes, there was less interpretation. Of I mean, there was some stuff where like you'd have the close up of Dorothy, and then you'd have the superimposition of the house falling down and. Well, uh, and another yeah. th- reference I want to make is um, in my small research uh, about movies made in the 20s, 30s, and 40s is that they would reuse sets. They would just redress them. And so with The Wizard of Oz, I would imagine that um, like shooting for what it was and the time frame and everything, I would imagine that they tore down a lot of the sets in like partial form and just redressed it for establishing another shot. So here's some more interesting trivia that's associated with that. And you're absolutely right, Kevin. Do you know how many people directed The Wizard of Oz? Wait, wait, wait there's more than one? Yeah. yeah. Only one no who got way. credit, which is Victor Fleming. Yeah. But there was also one, two, three, four other directors who helped finish the film. Now, are you talking about a production, a pre-production, po- a I'm production, or in post? shooting. Okay, so during production. Shooting. Because Victor Fleming was contracted to start Gone with the Wind, and he actually had to leave shooting early so he could start shooting Gone with the Wind over at Warner Brothers. Huh. So, Which, I think, technically speaking, Gone with the Wind was the more successful movie. 
It was indeed. Uh, well, they're both actually on AFI's top ten list of greatest films of all time. Yeah, both Interestingly, are really yeah, both yeah. Wizard of Oz and uh, Gone with the Wind. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. There's other fun things I feel like with uh, with Wizard of Oz because when you if you pick up any books on like film flubs, which I do because I'm weird. Um, nerd. <laughs> I nerd. <laughs> um, there's there's just funny things like uh, there's points where the Wicked Witch when she's in munchkin land and she's kind of doing like the poof explosion in and out you can see the trap door huh no from, way yeah you can see oh, the, the little the where she descends down yeah. um when they say there's the sign that says this way to the witch's castle witches is spelled wrong <laughs> no way yeah i think that was intentional though no it was not intentional, it was not intentional. nope no. that was not intentional um, they just spelled it wrong okay. and there um there's funny things like there's a part I think the the Wicked Witch is talking about sending out her monkeys or something, but she said, I've sent a little bug out to weaken them. And that is actually a reference to a scene that got cut where it, they had a whole other song for the jitterbug where she sent out a dance that, like, or a bug that made them dance. Yeah. And actually, not it is... Wham. Not the wham version. No, not at all. No, uh, in fact, actually, it, the recording of it still exists. Yes. Of course, back then, musical, and up until today, really. Yeah. Musicals had their scores recorded like two or three oh, months pre four, before uh, pre- the yeah. So fully recorded sure version of it, yeah. but only the only thing that exists is home movie of someone on the set watching the thing being filmed. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the film was somehow originally destroyed. But yeah, it was. And in fact, the first play I ever performed was The Wizard of Oz, and the Jitterbug was Where? Cer- no the first, first one play, that he no did. the first play I performed as an oh, actor. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Thank you for w- specifying. Yeah. I was trying to well, I didn't need to specify because I said I performed. You just weren't listening is what the issue oh, was. shut up, Brian. <laughs> oh, God. Just get, shut up, Meg. You, know, you have ears. You should just you know, use them. Oh, I'm sorry. Is. I wasn't paying attention. Do you mind repeating that for me? No. Nope. Because I don't care. Because I was just saying go fuck yourself is what I was saying about five times. Switchblades. Go. Pow. Boy, I was just boy, doing snapping with my middle boy. fingers, folks, just so you so can get the image. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how lots of people snap their middle fingers, Brian. No, I snap with my index fingers. Did you hear the sarcasm in my voice? <laughs> no, actually, I always snap default with my middle fingers. Maybe I'm just really angry, but I always snap default with my middle fingers. This is a very weird tangent. Let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what I was getting at was that the jitterbug is, uh, in the stage version of the musical, is still heavily integrated into it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, as well as opening uh, recitative to all the, uh, like, if I only had a... Numbers. Yeah, There's okay. actually like a hole leading into it that, that you never see in the films either. Uh, all of them were written by Herbert Stothart and Harold Arlen mm. for the songs. But a couple of the songs were written by Yip Harburg, particularly Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Mm. Uh, and why is that important? Because he wrote other famous songs at the time. Uh, there was a, a musical where he wrote the song Brother Can You Spare a Dime, which was... Uh, one of the biggest songs of that time period because it spoke to the hardships of the Great Depression. Mm. Sure. He so also it's like having a pop songwriter do a, a major song. Exactly. Oh, and uh, he also wrote the whole like libretto. Like Phil Collins doing the Tarzan soundtrack. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also... Well, but keep in mind, at this time, Broadway was the basis for pop music. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's now the reverse. Right. Um, well, I, I want to pose this question to Jill. Uh, was the Jitterbug ever mentioned in the book? No. No, not at all. No, it so, was a total invention. Yeah. I do think I do kind of want to talk about um, the the somewhere over the w- rainbow aspect of the movie 
because I think that lends itself to the point that I wanted to put on hold for a second when we actually start talking about this movie. Sure. I was going to mention one other quick thing. Um, do you guys know the the musical Finian's Rainbow? Yes. Okay, so of course he wrote that oh, okay. uh, libretto as well. And he, uh, the song Old Devil Moon is yeah. like the most famous song from that. Yeah. Which is, a love, Moon, which is which a love song. Yeah. The the version that Frank Sinatra does is probably one of my favorites. Yeah, exactly. So. And there you go. See? Mm-hmm. Theater influencing pop music. So yeah. anyway, that aside, now I've had my little moment where I could Your use my theater, theater degree there we go. to my heart's content. Now I'll just go back to my corner. And uh, we'll, we'll bring up the theater thing again later, clearly. Oh, <laughs> um, but so yeah, let's, let's talk about the Somewhere Over the Rainbow aspect of this. Because here we have this little girl who is supposed to be 11, but she's actually 16. Thank you to the casting. Oh, we'll talk to that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> but I find that really interesting that, okay, she's, so she's in there, she's in drab, blear, like bleak Kansas in this awful no-color world, singing about someplace over the rainbow, which how could she even see a rainbow if there's no color? <laughs> but something that's going to be so much better, right? And then she actually gets to this world... And the first thing she's thinking about is, how the hell do I get back home? Was it, like, too much for her to handle or what? But I feel like that's just, again, that's the thing where the hero's journey, she doesn't really quite make she, that. She doesn't get to make the hero's journey. She has no arc. And then when she does return, she doesn't get to return with the elixir. She loses the ruby slippers. Right. The and then back. and it's so completely one-track mind for her mm-hmm. the entire time. And then uh, the interesting change about Glinda not right. being in the beginning of the book, right. but then she's at the end. So... I'm sorry. Oh, I just have to. I have to because this has been something that's been bugging the shit out of me. I know it bugs the shit out of people on the internet. And Jill, I was really glad that when we were talking about this episode, <laughs> we mentioned it. Glinda is a bitch. She is a raging bitch. She shows up and she basically plays Dorothy for a patsy this whole fucking time just to get her to the Emerald City just so she could get to the point where she's going to kill the Wicked Witch. And she's like, great, glad that that nuisance is over and I made an 11-year-old girl take care of my dirty work. I basically made her a paid assassin because her payment is, okay, now I get to send her home. By the way, you could have done it the whole time because you had the shoes. No, there, there, you, there was Glinda. a great, There was a great almost how it should have ended uh, Mad TV sketch when Glinda reveals that. She's like, yeah. wait, wait, what, what? <laughs> you're, you're telling me I could have gone home the whole time, and it's like literally it ends with uh, Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, Dorothy, and Scarecrow beating Linda, Linda to death. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Sarah, I think you would have liked that then. Yeah, it's like it's like, it's like, a, it's like if Quentin Tarantino did did the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> well, um, if Tarantino did the Wizard of Oz, everyone would have died at the end. It's that's very true. There would have been true. like a Mexican standoff yep. between Linda and Dorothy <laughs> and Oz. Might I, um, might I offer a theory about the whole Wizard of Oz and the uh, not the whole Wizard, the whole Over the Rainbow? Bit? You you may, but will you? Okay, never mind. Forget that. Stop it with you the and semantics. your grammar. I'm just saying. Uh, so I think it serves two functions. One, it's the beautiful irony that yes, they're in black and white. She's talking about color, but also it's very much like the mind of a child. Kids say things they don't mean. You know, they think about oh, they want this, they want this, want this, and then they finally get it, like oh, maybe I didn't. And they want to go back to the way things were. Like. Wow, the stove looks really nice. I want to touch it. Oh, maybe I didn't want to do that. Or like, I want a pet elephant, not realizing the responsibility of taking care of an elephant. Yes, exactly. Okay. Hello. Sorry about that. Getting all up on my biz, Brian. Jeez. Damn. Sorry. How much money do we have at this point? <laughs> I'm on not, my second glass. At not this nearly point. enough. <laughs> Ouch. Can we call our our oxygen break? Yes. Thank you. 
We'll be back after this little break. All that shit. And we're back, folks. <laughs> I cry. <laughs> so, uh, apparently, Sarah and Kevin were having a little bit of a podcaster's tiff. We were uh, having a nerd rage. Yeah, a little bit of nerd rage. Just like that. Yeah, right. that was that was a small taste. Are, of nerd are rage. you done? No, hold on. I need one more. Kevin, you need to relax. <laughs> Clean, clean that shit up when oh, you're done. Oh, jeez. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it got everywhere. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, Jill, I guess okay? I, I, we will play for the dry cleaning, I promise. <laughs> All right. Uh, so where were we, folks? We were talking about... We were talking about the 1939 Wizard of Oz and how I think Glenda's a total bitch. Um, right. So the we have problems with the story. Yeah. So we have problems with the story. Fair enough. It does kind of have its own, even though there are inconsistencies with it, mm-hmm. it definitely plays to the 1930s sensibility, I sure. think. I mean, obviously, it still has an audience for today, because there's something that people still identify with the film almost 70 years. Actually, 73 years after it's... 74 well, I mean, years after it's been made. Yes and no. I mean, the argument could be that the no place like home thing is what's so charming about it, but at the same time, home sucks. For like her, the, yeah, exactly. Totally so does. there's the reason why would she want to go back. Well, then again, you also establish that Auntie M is looking for Dorothy. Yeah, she sees that in the globe of the Wicked okay, Witch's castle. Okay, so then maybe she's like, "Oh, they really do care about me at home." Ooh. But I'm sorry, if you live in a very abusive environment, even if they're looking for you, that's probably I like wouldn't their say sobering it, I wouldn't moment. say it was abusive. Oh I would just say it's boring. So okay, this is definitely where I think where the novel and the film deviate. I never once thought Dorothy was abused in Kansas. Yeah, she's she's not abused in in the books either. It's just kind of a a very she's neglected. She's neglected. Everything is like that's where when they have the the transition from the black and white to the color. The book is right. very very specific. The book there's no color words used for the essentially the prologue of the book. Everything is gray. Aunt Emma's gray. She wears gray clothes. Their fields are gray. Uncle Henry is gray and works until night and then goes to bed. And everything is just gray, 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 gray. And then it transitions into this. And then once she gets to Oz, everything is is beautiful and pretty. Right. So in a way, really, the style of the 1939 film is really a more literal interpretation of the imagery of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, see, what I find fascinating about this movie is, I mean, yes, of course, we could talk about the story and we could talk about the moments we love, but this movie has a really interesting backstory to it, to how it got made. And, I mean, Hollywood, the moment The Wizard of Oz got produced, wanted to make a movie of it. And clearly it did, because it made two films before it got to the, the talky version of it. But this movie could have had almost a completely different cast than we know and love. Let's preface this by saying, as we're talking about the history of it, the hanging did not happen. Nobody killed themselves on set. There was no hanging munchkin. munchkin. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I only wanted to mention this in passing um, as a show of the times, how appropriate it was or how okay it was to say the word munchkin when applying to small people, whereas nowadays, no, that shit do not fly. But well, the Munchkins were characters they in were the characters Wizard of Oz in the books. novel. They, and was, they were called Munchkins. That was yes, the entire population. They were a, sm- a group of smaller people. And in the Wicked musical, mm-hmm. uh, they are not officially considered like dwarf-like, but they're just shorter people. 
But yeah. they, they're yeah. still a subjugated people. That's the other and, liberty that And Mubarak the Great takes. and Powerful Oz brings out some of the other races in Oz that aren't mentioned in the 1939 right. There's right. the Quadlings and the, the mentions the, the Winkies and the Well, the Winkies and, are in The Wizard of Oz. They're, they're the guys mentioned. who goes, oh, yeah. 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 That whole but, bit. I'm trying to remember from the Wicked musical in the book, um, because uh, the love interest, I think, in that is also um, Fiero. I think. Fiero ends up becoming the Scarecrow. Yeah. Wait, 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 yeah, who but, is but Fiero? Fiero's the love interest in, in Wicked, the musical, and in, in okay. the book. I believe he was a different race. He wasn't, and like in the in the book, they describe him as having like um, different colored skin with like patterns on it. Interesting. So, yeah. Anyway, tangent. Move on. That's okay. So, do you guys know who was almost Dorothy? I do. Well, well she was interesting because there was actually famous? a few people who were in the running, running for Dorothy. I know one of them. Go ahead. Shirley Temple. That's true. Shirley Temple, which would have been closer to the actual age of Dorothy in the book. Then they decided to go with someone who was a bit older looking. Uh, Jean Harlow was considered at one point when the story was in development, though she died in 1937, so that wouldn't have really... That did not fly. ...worked. Uh, actress Deanna Durbin was also considered hmm. for it. Uh, they didn't have holograms by, back then. I just want to make sure the audience understands that. Right, right. No, <laughs> no you, Tupac Kevin. projection. No <laughs> Tupac hologram. Uh, that's true. And uh, but more importantly, Judy Garland had already done a couple of small roles at that point on film, but she hadn't really done anything major. She wasn't really huge. She was um, a little bit bigger in, like, vaudeville. She was doing vaudeville for a while with Very her family. So. Yeah, she did yeah. vaudeville before she went into Hollywood. What was Hollywood. her talent? She was known as the girl with the big voice. Like, mm-hmm. she, it was impressive that a girl as petite as her could sing as powerfully as she could. Yeah, Judy Garland is an, was an insane singer. Yeah. And her Just last insane. name actually was originally Gum. Yeah. G-U-M-M. Mm-hmm. Garland was a stage name that she That's adapted. That's an extremely elegant name to had to yourself well, of course I mean, this is, is Tinseltown we're talking about right God. yeah anything that would make yourself sound you know more Judy Gum majestic yeah. ah, my name's Judy so Gum. she so I believe at this point she had she had done a few um, movies with Mickey Rooney she had done a couple <laughs> of minor stuff yeah they were a pair they were like paired up in movies quite a few times yeah wow uh, interestingly That's enough awesome. the reason why she kind of got the part she did is because she was kind of seeing Vince Minnelli who is but one how of the, old is she, by the way? At this she was 15, 16, I think. And how old was Vince? He wasn't that old. He was probably in his early 20s at that point. This is, keep in mind, before the age of consent was 18. Before those rules huh, were changed. okay. Yeah. I think. In men, no, actually, in many states at this point, age of consent was 16. So, uh-huh. very different standards at this point. There, there were people in this age who were getting married before they finished high school. Keep that in mind, culturally mm-hmm. speaking. This is not that... Actually, okay, uh, I have, uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, okay. But, of course, Thank the you. union yeah. between Judy Garland and Vince, Vanell- uh, Vince Minnelli eventually begat Liza Minnelli, so. Really? Yes, from the, from the. Did the, you not know that? No. From the theater community? Yeah. I'm, I'm totally glad that they, they, they stooped. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that was, the, would have been a couple of different Dorothys, but also, the Tin Man was different, and was different yeah. from the beginning. Originally, I mean, Ray Bolger, was, who was, of course, a dancer at this point, a well-known dancer, and that's why he was all of his choreography for the Scarecrow was very... Had, used his legs because he was known for having long legs. Right. Ray Bolger was always kind of the intended person to play the Scarecrow. Um, but the original Tin Man was Buddy Epson, who you guys would know as Bud Clampett, or sorry, Jed Clampett on the original Beverly, Beverly Hillbillies. Hillbillies. Yeah. The reason why, unfortunately, why he had to give up the role mm. is because the original silver makeup, he proved that he was extremely allergic to it. And he... 
uh, it was the silver powder that they had to, like, he actually had to stop because he couldn't breathe. Interesting little side note, Bolger uh, wanted to play the Scarecrow because his childhood idol, Fred Stone, had done so in the 1902 Wizard of Oz musical that was on Broadway. That's right, there was Wizard of Oz musical prior to the one that we know of today. Exactly. And uh, also interesting fact, W.C. Fields was originally cast as a role in the role of the wizard, but was eventually replaced by Frank Morgan, who played him in the in the film. Uh, and more importantly, was a very different creative choice, which was Gail Sondergaard, who is more of a, a movie starlet of the time period, looked very very beautiful. Was the original Wicked Witch, and they she had, they wanted to go with more like the Wicked uh, Queen kind of look from Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, the more the more oh, enticing evil okay. look, even to the point where they gave her a headpiece that right. fit around the hat. There's actually makeup tests of her as the the more siren looking Wicked Witch online, and it's very very. And it's like it's got like sequins in the costume. It's very very stunning. Interesting. And then they also did one for her uh, as the more old hag, old crone look, and they decided they didn't like her, so they instead went with Emily Hamilton. Who uh, the f- funny story is she talks about this is that she said, oh I loved. That her agent called her and said, well, they watch you for The Wizard of Oz. Oh, really? What part? The witch. It's like, really? I said, yeah, what, what part did you think that you were up for? Which is like, wow. Because, I mean, Emily yeah. Hamilton wasn't the best looking person yeah. in the world. So, here's my question. How was the Wicked Witch described in the book? Was she, like, was she green in the book? That's a good question. I don't remember if she was described as green. She's not really described at all. She does have a... a she only has one eye... And it's uh, telescopic, so she can view the adventurers so on... So it pops out? <laughs> yeah, just she can see them oh, from her dark. castle, and she can see them coming, and she sends her she sends the her wolves and her flying monkeys uh, after them. So that's kind of creepy because and Because I feel like... Mm-hmm. I feel like with Instead of the magic ball viewing, scrying. Right, because I feel like with, you know, this production, the 1939 version, with the... Um, Oz, Great and Powerful, Sam Raimi version, and then, of course, in, in Wicked, the the green is and the distorted look is so very important. Right. And if, if it is mentioned, it's definitely not important. To, it's not highlighted. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay, okay. Was she, um, did she have any pirate-like tendencies, <laughs> having the one eye? Did she happen to have one of, like, a miniature flying monkey on her shoulder that was her no, best friend? No, no, she didn't no. have any of okay. those. I'm sorry, I wanted to get hopeful That's okay. for a second. Um, I wanted to mention, if I didn't already mention it, that uh, Buddy Epson was replaced by Jack Haley, who huh. would play him in the film. Uh, and also, cool little side note, uh, the studios, MGM Studios, which is now the Sony Pictures lot in Culver City, is like a quarter of a mile from where my grandparents live. Uh, I've actually been there. It's pretty cool. Have you been to my grandparents' house? How? Yeah. Uh, well, I was you stalking fiend. you. I was stalking you. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was stole waiting. your grandma. Yeah, I was waiting for you to look out the window, and I was going to do this. <sighs> yeah, they literally live down one of the side streets that you can take off of. of um, what's that main street in Culver City? It's like the main... Sepulveda. No. No, no, it's not Sepulveda. Um, um, well, uh, the only reason why I know is um, my girlfriend lived two city blocks from there as well. So... I know exactly what region you're talking about in Culver City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really cool little part of the of the town. Um, so yes, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a lot of film history there. A lot of film history, definitely in downtown Culver City, particularly. Yeah, there's a lot of of uh, film history there. So um, that's the bit I have on casting. There's tons of little bits and pieces that you know, we can go over. It was one of the first films to be used using Technicolor with three Technicolor. stripes. 
Yeah, which means they were shot with red exposure film, yellow exposure film, and blue exposure film. Oh, so, and then they were so merged the together colors to then. create color. Yeah, okay. they were shot in the primary colors of ink. And then, of course, they shot in sepia tone for the for the black and white sequences. Well, so, and for the beginning of the movie. That's what I mean. The black and white sequences. It's, it's, but do you really call sepia tone black and white? For well, no, the what most people conceive yes. of as the black and white is the sepia tone sequences. Okay. Before Instagram existed and people knew what sepia meant, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they called yes. it the black and white. Everything else we've already kind of talked about, which is that like the jitterbug number was yeah. in- integrated in. The and, hanging didn't happen. Uh, it did. The over the rainbow song did win best song in uh, the Academy Awards the of 1940. Cool. Worth noting, I think. Somewhere over the rainbow. There's another yes, rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Arrested Development and Tobias UK. <laughs> so, um, and then before, after that, we kind of just don't see much of The Wizard of Oz for probably a good 30, 40 years at this point. And we fast forward, and then we don't really see it again until it's reinterpreted by The Wiz in the 70s with Michael Jackson and... Uh, MJ. I think Diana Ross was Diana Ross too. was also the Dorothy character, exactly. I yeah. don't think she was the Dorothy character. I'm no, looking she totally up right was. now. She Dorothy it's gonna, she yeah, was. it's going to bother me until I know what this is. Okay, well, while you're talking thought... about Jill, mm-hmm. take it away. So, the next time we see, we see Return to Oz, which came out in 1985, and it's supposed to take place six months after the events of the 1939 movie, and it stars the chick from The Craft. Fruza Balk. Yes. Yeah, but young Fruza Balk mm-hmm. before movie. she was like super psycho looking. The, trouble that's, the thing that's confusing is that all of the characters that you remember from the old film are not anthropomorphic and that there's actors playing them in costumes. They're all puppetized at this right. point. They're Muppets, yes. basically. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to put this out there. Diana Ross was Dorothy. Okay. Uh, Michael Jackson was a scarecrow. Uh, Nipsey Russell was the Tin Man. And uh, Richard Pryor was the wizard. Uh, the Wiz, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah, well, the Wiz in question. I stand corrected. Okay. That being said, now. Anyway, continuing. 1985 uh, is Return to Oz. They've taken basically the events of the second two book and mashed them together rather haphazardly. And it's really, really creepy and weird. I don't know if I can honestly recommend going out to watch that movie, especially if you have it's bad very dreams. It's dark, even for a really, kid's film. Yeah. I hear that that movie causes nightmares. Yeah, oh yeah, so... Really? Yeah. So the basically Aunt Em and Uncle Henry are concerned about Dorothy's psychotic spouting of of the events of Oz and take her to a electroshock therapist in order oh, to cure her. Christ. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not joking. This is like David Fincher's version <laughs> of Wizard of Oz. Um, with the entire conversation we've had, the one movie that's actually been stuck in my mind in terms of uh, the, what's happened in the book and what you just mentioned now is Sucker Punch. Yes, I've actually seen that movie. There's a, You watched that fetish film? I got hopeful and it was terrible. But yes, no, there's there's definitely electroshock therapy. Um, the female heroine goes through a traumatic event and is forced to, uh, for, society forces to think that she's crazy and things like that. And so I'm, I'm noticing some strange parallels then, only because, yeah, that movie was so bad, I actually remember it. So the, the 1939 movie, it is definitely a dream that Dorothy had, whereas in, like I mentioned before, the books, it is, Oz is a literal place. In the 1985 Return to Oz, it's very ambiguous whether or not Oz really exists or not, but I'm, I'm going to go with dream here because it's really weird. But so Dorothy shows up in the land of Oz, which in the book, it's actually the land of Ev, Oz's neighboring kingdom. True story. And uh, she encounters uh, guys 
called the wheelers. They are crazy, scary guys who have wheels on their hands and their what? feet. Yeah, no, wheels what? for hands and feet, and they run around and they scream and yell. Would they really run around? Would they just roll they, well, they around? They will wheel around on all four. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, and okay. uh, she has a chicken named Belina with her instead of Toto. Toto gets left behind on the farm. And what else? She goes and there's a queen who takes off. She has like 30 heads and she takes off a head and puts on another head. And then they find a powder of life and they take a mounted deer looking thing called a gump and they tie him to a sofa and they turn to bring him to life and they fly away and wow <laughs> what the fuck kind and of lsd bullshit yeah, trip is say. this what the they, hell well they, this was 80s so keep in mind I, I clearly all the writers were doing coke yeah clearly. and they they kind coke of go, usually makes you happy <laughs> they almost go to hell where like the scarecrow is imprisoned holy shit and really? to try and save him from the gnome king who is who had usurped the crown of from the, from the scarecrow, right? He yeah. was mad because he lives underground where all the emeralds are, and the emerald city stole all the emeralds, and so he imprisoned the scarecrow, who became king I feel like after that. Oz actually, left. came from the novels. Yes, so. it, it did. Okay, that cool. did. Um, eventually, they rescue the princess Ozma, who is the rightful heir to the throne. And so, scarecrow has to usurp his crown, or has to give his crown to relinquish yeah. his crown, right? To the, to Ozma, the princess who from from. And anyway, so Frank Albaum had uh, kind of a only a passing acquaintance with continuity in the first place, and in the books he. <laughs> So he and Continuity Man at a bar one night had a drink, had a good chat. <laughs> <laughs> he, the wizard, the wizard usurped the throne from, in some of the books, he usurped the throne from Ozma's father, whose name is like, uh, Ozzo, we'll just call him Ozzo. <laughs> yeah. uh, Osmo. But Osmo. then later that was kind of unpopular because the wizard is kind of this bumbling, not so mean guy. And so in later books, he kind of ignored that the wizard did that and just pretended that he usurped Oz from the Wicked Witches, but in the original novel, when Oz arrived, he had the Emerald City built, so there's no throne to usurp from, and it doesn't make any sense if yeah. you try, so just, just squint at it, and uh, it'll it'll be okay. Sure. <laughs> but, so, the 1985, and then she comes back, and everything is okay again, because it's a happy ending, and it is a bizarre, bizarre movie yeah. that was kind of traumatizing. Sounds like it. So much so that I think people are like, let's just forget about that and re-release The Wizard of Oz, because everyone yeah. loves that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, which, by the way, has released, has in its re-releases, has made, grossed about $14 million in additional Wow. Uh, money. Yeah, and can I just say merchandising? Like, oh, tons of money in merchandise. Like Christmas gobs, ornaments gobs every year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something new Wizard of Oz related. I when I was in high school, I had um, I bought this because I, I was kind of going through a Wizard of Oz phase, which is weird to say, but I really liked the Wizard of Oz for about a, a year when I was in high school, and I had a a no joke. Was a, it the lighting? No, no. It was a Polly Pocket set. Which oh, sounds ridiculous, but that. it was a yeah. it was a full set like of like the Emerald City and the Munchkin Land and the Witch's Castle and like the little Polly Pocket like characters and stuff and like you could move them around and it was bizarre. Things like lit up and popped out and it was super fun. I liked it and I had fun playing with well, it. Well, and on top of that, in terms of like gross for uh, that movie, um, it's getting its seventy fifth remastered edition IMAX 3D presentation mm. by the way and it's only going to be theaters for a week Where? when? next when? year right? What? I think it's either late this year like September October or early next yeah, year yeah it should be because next 2014 will be its 75 year anniversary I did see it in HD 
and it was okay. It was not bad. Really? I mean, it was, it was the, the remastering wasn't that good? Well, I mean, 35mm film is already higher resolution than 1080p, so... To a just, degree, yeah. Depending no, on, no, it depending is. Depending on the process afterwards, but that's okay. beside the point. Sorry. I'm, Nerds. I'm just saying I want to go to there. I want to oh, go will. to there. No worries. We certainly will. And I actually wanted to correct myself uh, in the episode because I said Emily Hamilton. It was Margaret Hamilton okay. who played the Wicked Witch of the West. So I want to get all you Wizard of Oz nerds who are like, no! Don't send letters. I want to correct you know, that. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I actually, I just remembered this like right this second. I actually did a show in high school related to the Wizard of Oz. It was very peculiar, but um, for a spring show, they didn't actually have a play because my high school's drama department was kind of janky at the least uh, just to say the most about it it was janky and um in drama class i had done a puppet show it was like kind of an america's most wanted for dorothy because we equated her to a, ser- a serial killer oh wow it was because really- she killed the, wick- the wicked well witch because the she killed the wicked witch but we also came across this whole thing where we were like saying that she also torched the scarecrow the scarecrow and and she melted the or no she turned the tin man into an aluminum can and, and we had like we had a whole series. skin the cat yeah we did like this whole like a- america's most wanted thing but <laughs> wow. it was like it was like a really ridiculous it was a puppet show and then they put it into the spring show it was the second half of the show was like all twisted fairy tales, but we were the only one that was actually a puppet show, and so That's we had like awesome. we had like a freaking Barbie and like weird. I don't even know why they put it in, but apparently it was funny enough because I did it in class, and then the teacher was like, "Hey, do you guys want to do this in the show?" And we're like, "Okay, uh, I guess." And it ran for two weekends. <laughs> I'm dead serious. It was really weird. So let's talk about the theatrical versions <laughs> of Wizard of Oz. Sorry, I know that was like totally a bizarre tangent. But that was an like, awesome tangent. I just though. remembered like that it happened. I kind yeah, of forgot about that's it. Okay, uh, I did want to mention because now we're starting to wrap it up. A couple of things we have to talk about, which is the film, of course, inspired uh, a number of musical versions of the Wizard of Oz. Of course, the actual film has pretty much been transliterated to the to the stage. And has had numerous touring productions with many, many celebrities. Mickey Rooney has been featured as the wizard. Mm. Roseanne Barr has been the Wicked Witch at certain points. Yeah. Uh, in Roseanne? One, ah! Yes. She could do it. <laughs> nice. Indeed. Uh, and also, interestingly enough, uh, to the San Francisco Bay Area coming in, I think, the late summer, early fall, is a stage production with, with new songs added oh. by none other than Tim Rice and <gasps> Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh I want to go God. to there. We're talking Broadway yeah. royalty. So we're talking, we have all the original songs from the movie, plus additional songs they've added in. That's insane. Uh, yeah, and it already played in London. They're trying to bring it to Broadway. Oh, I wonder if it's going to, I wonder if the style is the same. Well, I, I would hope so, because it would yeah. be kind of awkward if they didn't, if they it's kind of did out the of two place, different styles. You know? Exactly. So hopefully they'll go for that, like, kind of that 30s musical feel yeah. to it. But of course, we can't not talk about Wicked. 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 It is wicked awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, the stage adaptation, the prequel slash alternative view of The Wizard of Oz. Right. Alternative view is is probably the best way to, to say it. It was a book first by Gregory Maguire, as we mentioned earlier, but it's also a, a musical adaptation. Um, the book itself, I feel, is significantly more political. And darker as And well. darker, yeah. It focuses a lot more on the activist side of Elphaba, which is the name of the Wicked Witch. And, and the whole thing, if you're not familiar, and I don't know how you could not be familiar because it's kind of an international phenomenon, but um, is that Elphaba is actually kind of the good guy in this whole thing. She's a student who turns out... To have an aptitude for witchcraft. Well, yeah. No, she, well, yeah, she has an aptitude for witchcraft, but turns out that the... Um, 
uh, Wizard of Oz is her dad. So yeah, that whole thing happens. Dun dun dun. And also way more of a villain than in the other oh, stories. Significantly oh. yeah. more. Significantly more. So she's so she basically realizes that um, at this point, um, animals are, are very anthropomorphic and are uplifted. Exactly, and they're and they're fully functioning members of society, just along the same lines of humans. But at this, but there's something happening where they're being um, brought down to a, like a lower class. Animals and they're with being, a capital. They're being forced to be revert to the point where they can't speak. Right. right. Animals with a capital A versus animals with a lowercase a. Exactly. Exactly. Um, which is very, um, a very. Plato's theory of forms. I love it. <laughs> a lot of this is starting to remind me of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, it, it, it's very twisted. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, and a, there's a character, Dr. Dillamond, who is who's the, a goat. Exactly, who alphabetically identifies with mm-hmm. and who comes into play well, later. She, in the... she bonds with him and he talks just like he talks normally, but then there's uh, moments where he's like talking and singing and all of a sudden he's kind of like saying, like, Oh, yeah, this is really bad. This is really bad. And all of a sudden he's like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. Like, I, I'm well, I'm cute. I'm lowering myself. It's not cute. It's terrible. It's terrifying for him. It's, it's cute that it, it it's it's a pun. All right, play right, on fine, words. Fine, fine. <laughs> I know. And then it turns out that the wizard is the man kind of behind all this. He he is very um, he's very much like a dictator kind of thing, and he's the one who's who's trying to force the the Agreed. animals lower. Essentially, it's the story where the wicked witch is the protagonist. And you see all these other characters. Also, uh, Madame—I was going to say Madame Mimph, but that's that's. I can't remember her name stone. right now. But I will say so. The the thing is, is that the the fun part is that she and Glinda, who is actually Galinda, but it keeps getting the pronounced is silent. Yeah, guz silent keeps getting pronounced wrong. Um, that she and Glinda are roommates in college. Yeah, and then they go. And There's they, witch college. Yes, and they go. They like go to the. <laughs> well, it's not witch college. Uh, Alphaba takes a seminar on magic and finds out she actually has an aptitude for it. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Interesting. Okay. And okay. so okay. they go to the Emerald City together, and then that's where they discover that this stuff is going down. That oh my god, this you know the wizard is doing this to animals, and he wants to abuse Alphaba's power for that. And Glinda chooses to stay quiet about it while Alphabet decides to um, act out. And that's how she becomes the villain, and it's actually more of a, a, a political portrayal. She becomes the villain that way by by propaganda, and um, the the interesting point difference between the book and the and the play is that in the book it's really focused on the politics, whereas the musical focuses a hell of a lot more on the friendship between Glinda and Alphabet, and you kind of have like a really cheesy ending and the romance between Fiero and oh yeah 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 that I mean too. in the book Fiero is murdered. Um, in his cause, in the musical, Fiora she, she uses her magic girl. to turn him into the scarecrow, basically. Yeah. Um, so they kind of tie that in to it. Um, guys, two minutes. Oz the Great and Powerful. Go. God, that was a shit movie. Awful, <laughs> awful, awful, awful. It was just so much disappoint. So much disappoint. I know. In you, that. You, there was so much. I love Sam Raimi as a director. I liked his mostly because yeah. I swear to God I'm still running on Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Yeah, like are. he, I'm just like I'm hoping for so much more. And Spider Man's one and two. Yeah, and he just he could not. Yeah. 
I, I, he just couldn't. The story was all it was over a story. the place. It was a story. It was not the direction. Yeah, it was no. the story. James Franco was a completely lackluster Oz. And uh, God, I got to tell you, at the end of the movie, I was really hoping that he was going to get caught in some sort of fiery inferno, and that he was <laughs> like they somehow capture his soul, air quotes, and therefore he is the man behind the curtain in some anthropomorphic body just absorbs him or something. I was really hoping for something that was not James Franco trying to be good. Yeah, and they, they, chose, they chose some really odd things to do with the canon. They restored Glinda to the Good Witch of the South, and then they also, which would go with the books over the 1939 movie, and then they chose to go with some canon from the books also, so it's kind of this weird hodgepodge, which is the, the China town the porcelain yeah. town is in the books but the china people cannot leave the porcelain town or else they become figurines but the little girl leaves leaves oh. the porcelain town huh. well but they still so had glinda's bubble magic yeah, yeah they, they, did. they did one of the things they did do well was kind of foreshadow some of the things that happened in the 1939 movie because it is supposed to be a prequel yeah. so they they have glinda's bubble yeah. magic and the green witch right which is it turns out is was uh, a spell that was put onto her uh, kind of a scorned lover sort of situation yeah. actually yeah. which was my biggest problem with the movie of course my biggest problem was the fact that it was three women who are pretty much held to the whim of this one male stranger and so i kind of had a problem with that oh, personally yeah, no, understandably um zach braff as Zach Braff yeah, was, he was the best part, he was the best of, the part of the movie. As uh, the, the monkey. C- yeah, the CGI of, the, of that monkey was very impressive. And I got to tell you, I liked the redesign of the flying monkeys as baboons, I think they were. Yeah. Um, that was terror-inducing. It was very good in terms of a choice. And I really liked how uncampy they looked as well. Yeah. And I feel like stylistically, the movie was good yes. and was successful. Yes. Um, I, d- I think there was only really one, because I saw it in 3D, there was only one point in the 3D that they did the thing that I hate where they just make something come at you. Well, that was with the sandwich plants, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the whole sequence where he's crash landing the hot air balloon is very 3D gimmicky. Yeah. That whole thing. Time. Really? Really. Really? That's what you're doing to us? I went there. I went there. I timed you guys. Dick. (laughs) I did. I was about to share a motif. I think we can still keep going a couple extra minutes. No big deal. Go, Kevin. All right, so I I really liked, uh, there are several motifs that it borrows from in terms of influence of The Wizard of Oz by doing, or throwbacks, um, in terms of the transition from sepia, black and white, uh, to color. And then in this case with the movie, it is full screen, the aspect ratio four by three, and then it slowly draws out to widescreen to filling up the screen. I really yeah, like that motif. Yeah, that was motif. good. That was good. Um, the 3D for the, the black and white scenes was very basic, very simple, and then when they get into the land of Oz, it's very extravagant, it's very open, and there are those moments where, you know, things jump out to you on the screen. Um, and then at the end of the movie, the Oz, uh, who is apparently the great and the powerful at the end of the movie, gives gifts to all like four people, whereas like in the Wizard of Oz, he gives the gifts that they already knew that they had. Whereas in this one, it was like physical gifts yeah. and like my respect and all this other hokey, hokey stuff. Um, and I did not. Oh, well, and then, of course, the creation of the machine to project him into the the mystical being that he ends up being. Way, way, to end two, way to end a two-minute segment by adding another 90 seconds to it, by the way. All right, so I'm going to keep going then. Um, and then last but certainly not least, I really did not like the love interest with Galinda and him. It seemed so extremely it forced. It was forced. It was so, so forced. forced. There was nothing organic about that. And I so, totally agree. Like, with the book, was there anything... No, no, no. The, the wizard has... They, has they added that because you can't, yeah. you can't 
have a movie without some sort of sexual element into it. Some romanticism. I know. Bullshit. Of course he's going to do all this because he's in love with Galinda. Yeah. There. Uh, Now I'm done. The end. The end. Yeah, that was a full two minutes over. Excellent. Who cares? I care. Two I want to get this. It, it is nine nineteen. Two I want to get this done. Oh, please! It's, it's anyway. It's nine nineteen. Wrap not it up, Brian. Go for it. Cool. Well, folks, we'd like, of course, uh, like you guys to share with us your thoughts on the Wizard of Oz and how you feel about the film and what, which adaptation uh, speaks to you the most. Hopefully, it's the nineteen thirty nine version because that's the one that holds up the most. But if it is a different version, we want to hear why. Yeah, give us a good argument. Give us exactly. a good yeah. Defend your favorite. Defend movie your honor. Exactly. And of course, Jill, thank you so thank much. You. Yes. Thank so you very much, much for having me. For bringing me. your lit nerdism to our yeah. podcast. Much Jill, appreciated. Jill, you're fantastic. Yes. Please. And of course, you're welcome back whenever we have a lit version and then lit adaptation to film. You're welcome Please back whenever back. you want. Yes. And Please. write us a couple blog posts, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that being said, folks, uh, if you are, this is your first time listening to our podcast, hi, how you doing? Uh, you can subscribe to us on both iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Also, if you like to hear what we sound like off the air, you can follow us on our Twitter accounts. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Sarah Ash sixteen. And I have no Twitter. I'm sorry. And you're just Kevin, but Kevin, no. you can be emailed at what? Kevin at nerdonomy.com. Perfect. And, of course, NerdArmy.com has all that wonderful insight, like uh, how to email all of us individually, to see our blog, of course. Mm-hmm. and Which I work really hard on, so you should read the blog. Yeah, so do I. You hear that? Sarah has a hard <laughs> on for the blog. And you can also... Lady boner. <laughs> you can also give us, uh, if you are interested and you like what you see, we are a self-supported and user-supported podcast. So if you feel like you'd like to give a little bit as a thank you... For the content we deliver, you may do so by clicking on our donate via PayPal button. We will accept any amount from one dollar all the way up to however much well, you want. It's not limited to one dollar. Fifty cents is is fine. Yeah, and dandy. but to do fifty cents on PayPal is like we're gonna get we're gonna eat thirty percent of that. So really, you want to uh, give us like thirty five cents? Well, hey, hey, we'll take thirty five. Yeah, cents. I, I will too. You know why? Because if everyone gave thirty five cents, not only would we have air conditioning and a ceiling, but we'd also have soundproofing too. Looks maybe, good. maybe. Uh, we are definitely, for the wondering what the money would go to, we are still paying off that computer, as well as we have our lovely air conditioner bought with the money donated by users, but we also need to get our ceiling in place so that we don't have that cool air leaking outward. And the soundproofing. Soundproofing, yes, would be nice, but that's that's kind of like icing on the cake. Uh, more importantly, it would go to production value for our coming videos, which we are in the process of writing. The video initiative. The video initiative, exactly. Like the Avengers, but a little bit less cool, but still and funny. Unfortunately, Nick Fury did not introduce the video initiative could, to us. I could be the Black Widow. You totally could. I'll be Captain America then. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just because. Fine. Who's the Hulk? Um, that's it's yeah, Brian. Brian. Okay. He, he definitely nerd rages the most out of okay, all of us. Iron, <laughs> Sean's totally Iron Man. Iron Man, yeah, of course. And then Eric has got to be um, Hawkeye. <sighs> no, he'd be Ant Man. <laughs> he doesn't even make it in the movie Actually, at this point. Actually, I was going to say he is Bruce Banner, and you evolve into no, the Hulk. No, that's yeah. effed up. I all right, know, all right, no, moving no. on, moving on. <laughs> okay, yeah, derailed. So, uh, all right, folks, well, thank you for listening, and uh, until next time, stay nerdy. Follow us, or you can listen to us, uh, same nerd time, same nerd channel, on nerdonomy.com. Bye. Peace. And roll credits. Thank you.
now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. My, people come and go so quickly here. 